keep learning. You know, if you feel like you've come to a point where you know everything or you got all figured out, challenge yourself on that. Keep learning, keep evolving. And I think it's not only fun, but there's a lot of value in it. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and our guest today is awesome. His name is Damon Lemby, and he's the CEO of Learn It and best-selling author of The Learn It Leader. With 24 years at the helm of a corporate training company, he has upskilled and trained nearly 2 million professionals. He studies how leaders and organizations learn or don't learn what prepares them to succeed in life. I'm going to eliminate a little bit of his history because we're going to jump right into it, but he is so well-known. He's been on media platforms such as Forbes and Fast Company, where he writes and speaks on topics, including learning, leadership, behavior change, and the future of work. We're going to have a good call today, Damon. Welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome to have you with us today. Dr. Richard, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have this conversation. We talked a little bit off air, and you told me a bit about your your journey, which I am always so fascinated in, in people's journeys. So, Let's hop in the Damon Lemby time machine. Tell us what put you on the path you're on today. Well, I also think it's great that we're both uh, KISS fans, like we talked about earlier. <laughs> yes. That's the, a, Detroit I, Rock I, City, right? That's right. Absolutely. So, yeah, that, that was. So, my story is I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in a town called Burlingame. I'm the oldest of four siblings, and I uh, had great parents, uh, my mom and dad, unfortunately, my dad passed away in, in 2010. Um, but we grew up uh, really, I was fortunate to have a great friend. And a lot of it was focused on sports. So we played sports, you know, whatever season it was, baseball, during baseball, football, basketball, soccer, whatever. And as I got older, I really wanted to, I was pretty good at sports. And I figured out by my sophomore year in high school, if I was going to continue on, uh, baseball was my best bet. And so I was fortunate enough after my senior year in high school to be drafted by the Atlanta Braves in the 13th round. And I had my first really difficult decision. Do I go minor leagues or do I take a full ride to Pepperdine University? Um, my parents were great, Dr. Richard. They gave me the opportunity to make whatever decision they said they'd get behind me. I chose uh, college. I went to Pepperdine University. Um, I got hurt uh, playing I left my first year, and as things would have it, they ended up winning the College World Series, which is which is funny. The year after I left, good, for, great for them. And I ended up playing at Arizona State, where I got to play their baseball. Um, you know, my clan of fans, I hit a home run in the College World Series, which was great, which was fun. And I was really hoping, uh, planning on continuing to uh, 
to play professional, get drafted again and move forward. And unfortunately, at the end of the year, I didn't get drafted. And I was kind of, uh, I didn't want to go the independent route. So I said to myself, well, what do I do now? I was kind of stuck, right? I was stuck thinking, what, what's my next step? And are the skills I have transferable? And taking a step back, I was really fortunate. You know, as I mentioned, my, my father, we built, they built a very large, one of the largest real estate companies in San Francisco. And we had hotels and everything. And I was really fortunate in a sense that I had an opportunity to go work for one of these organizations. Um, but I was, you know, I was pretty intimidated. And one company that my dad started in 1995, right when I was uh, getting out get, getting out of Arizona State, was this computer training company called Learn It. And back then I barely used computers. And so I took a job as a receptionist at Learn It, and I did so because, you know, I wanted to roll up my sleeves and, and prove to everybody that I belonged there, and I wasn't just put, you know, in the in the top, you know. Uh, and so, fast forward about seven years, uh, there I taught classes, I answered more phones than anybody, and when they were looking for a new CEO, I threw my hat in the ring and I said, "Hey, I've taught classes, you know, I've." Uh, close from our biggest sales. Can I have an opportunity? And so for the past 24 years, I've been, I've been running Learn It, which is a corporate training company. Um, and we work with customers who are looking to upskill managers, maybe for the first time, build cultures of learning, or just typically learn how to use products like Excel. So that's really my story. And as you mentioned, uh, we've trained about 2 million individuals, which is crazy. I never thought I'd even be in this position. And I wrote a book called The Learn It All Leader in in uh, those released earlier in the year. So I want to talk about that. So what, what was the impetus for writing that book? So the impetus for writing that book, originally I was thinking of, because I've got so many, I think, great stories over the years of uh, learning lessons. And really the impetus was I really like to give back. You know, I, I, I get a I get a charge out of helping and coaching and mentoring individuals. Um, and I thought there is two two main reasons why I want to write the book. Number one, I wanted to give back and share. So the book is really my spin on leadership. I got to play for three Hall of Fame baseball coaches, and and that's what really helped me model my leadership skills. So I want to be able to give back and show others that if I can do it, they can do it. You know, this is, you know, through rolling up your sleeves and, and, and hard work. And the other, the other reason why is that, um, as I mentioned, you know, my, my father passed away in 2010. I have two uh, young kids, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And I really wanted them to see not just my father, but my mom and, and my family, the legacy and, and how we've helped so many people over the years and uh, something for my uh, Walter Jr., my my son, and for my dad, and my and my daughter Lucy to be proud of and, and to learn about their family. So that, that was really those were my two driving forces: helping people and and something for my kids to have. I forward. love I love both of these things, and so I, I'm curious because not everybody who is listening to this you know, is is a business owner or is in a leadership role, but obviously, if, if you played for three Hall of Fame coaches there are some things that you learned from them that could translate to anybody, no matter, you know, where they are in life or what they do. I'm wondering if you could, you know, kind of give us the the top tier, you know, pieces of wisdom you glean from some of these coaches. 
Sure. One of my favorites is at Pepperdine, Coach Andy Lopez, who won a World Series at Pepperdine, got to one at Florida, and then won another one at University of Arizona, only has two rules. And, and that was show up on time and do the right thing. Show up on time is pretty self-explanatory. Get there on time, get there early. And this really carries over to the business world or whatever. And then do the right thing. And a lot of his players would say, well, that's pretty broad. What does that mean? And, and he, you know, and, and he would say, you know what that means. Do the right thing at all times. Live by your principles and your values. And even if nobody's around, make the right decision. You know, so th- that was something that really stuck with me. And the other thing that I really learned from s- some of my other coaches was the importance of discipline and uh, team collaboration. And a lot of it, Dr. Richard, around resilience. You know, in sports, you 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 fail quite a bit you know in baseball if you fail 7 out of 10 times you can be a you could be a millionaire so you have to learn to dust yourself off get back up and they they taught me a lot around the importance of you know believing in yourself i you know how to overcome imposter syndrome and 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 all of the above so uh i've really between those three coaches and and my my father who i got to kind of be a fly on the wall for their business uh, that's really what's helped model my um, leadership style. I, I'm grateful for that. And again, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your book, but I didn't want to lose that piece because you just gave us some really wonderful pearls of wisdom there. So let's jump back into the learn it leader. And because leadership is something that you need in your life, whether you're a parent or you know in a boardroom. So talk to us about some of the tenets of this book. And I want to learn more about your specific approach to leadership. Well, first, let me define, Doctor Richard, what I mean by a leader. Uh, and you kind of you kind of touched on it right there. Being uh, being a leader, it does you don't need to manage a ma- massive company of thousands of employees or even fifteen employees. You can be a leader as a parent, uh, as an individual contributor at work. You know, somebody who leads by example, or even in as a college student, you know, that's really what my definition of uh, a leader is and what I call a, a learn-it-all leader, right? Uh, and for me, there's really four key traits to being a learn-it-all leader, which I are, believe are humility, curiosity, integrity, which we spoke about a minute ago, and then courage. So those are those are really the four main traits um, that I talk a lot about in my book uh, of, of about both like being and then doing, you know, this is a mindset. This is how you're going to go about being this. And then here are some actionable items on actually doing uh, and moving forward with those traits. We did touch on integrity, uh, though not on purpose, but we got that, mm-hmm. that one knocked out a little bit. Take us through some of the other three. Mm-hmm. Well, he, let's start with humility. So talking about humility, what I believe is, you know, you have learn-it-alls and you have know-it-alls. And sometimes you can be, you know, you could be you could be a know-it-all in a certain situation, uh, maybe in parenting, but a, a learn-it-all at work. But overall, I think that being a learn-it-all is a better way to go about it. And it really starts with humility. And to me, that means understanding that you don't know everything and that there's other people out there who are have better answers and smarter and it's important for you to, it's important for you as a leader, uh, especially in the business world, to surround yourself with individuals who are 
smarter and, and can challenge you and then be open, have a be, having a beginner's mind um, and being open to diverse opinions that people have and also being vulnerable in the sense of, of not being afraid to say, hey, look, I don't have an answer to this question, you know, but so come in here, help me figure out how to go about answering this, you know, so, but doing it with confidence, you know, and then the other trait I think is really important is curiosity and, and curiosity is being good at asking questions and, and listening, you know, when, um, when we moved into the pandemic you know, and everything went from being uh, in person for our business to remote, I kind of got curious and I said to myself, well, you know, a lot of people are really concerned with what's going to happen. Now might be a great time to uh, to find great salespeople, right? Um, and so I got curious and I thought about, you know, what industries are struggling? And I thought about event planning, ticket sales, and I leveraged that and, and talked to some people I knew. And we ended up hiring half a dozen individuals throughout the country that maybe we would have never worked with before to join our sales team. And it all kind of started with, you know, being curious and figuring out how, um, as a leader, we can, you know, evolve our business. And then when I talk about courage, what I really mean is, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. You know, it, it, it takes courage to get out of your comfort zone, try things that you don't know, um, make mistakes and and learn from those mistakes. And I think we've all, we've all been in that position. So it's, you know, having the courage to try something, fail, and then move on. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. And, and you mentioned that this book will give people actionable strategies to address these four core areas. I don't want you to give away the, the whole yeah, keys to the castle, but give us a few that you think somebody listening to this might want to try out. Sure. There, there's, there's, Two that that I think have really st stuck out that, that people have appreciated. One is uh, I talk a lot about I, I dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome myself, you know, which I think a lot of us have. Well, actually, all of us have, you know, whether you want to admit it or not. And so um, I, I have a three step approach really for dealing with imposter syndrome. Um, number one is work hard, you know, put in the reps. Uh you know, I, I, I'm not saying work 10 to 14 hours a day, but, you know, put in the put in the work. You know, if, if you're in sales um, and your job is prospecting, make the calls, you know, do what it is you need to do. Work hard. Step number two is, is focus. Focus in on what you're concerned about, what you're worried about, because it's easy to procrastinate and, and, and get off topic, but really focus in on what you're doing. And number three, finally, is learn and let go. 
You know, I mean, after you've put in the work and you've focused, things may not turn out the way you want them to turn out, but um, don't beat yourself up over that. You know, pat yourself on the back for for putting in the hard work and effort. Uh, so kind of let go. Um, and, you know, if, if it does fail, it's not really a failure because you can learn from that for next time. So that that's one in there. And the other one that, that I think a lot of people have enjoyed and have been fascinated by is I have something called the trust tax. Um, and what the trust tax is, is that starting all relationships, giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, and this could be personal, this could be professional, giving people the benefit of the doubt. And then if they, uh, if, if things don't work out, if, if, they let you down for one, you know, either on purpose or or not, then you learn from that. But going into every relationship, instead of being uh, skeptical or being a cynic, believing in, you know, who, who in this relationship until proven otherwise. And um, I think that that's important because it, it takes so much negative energy, I believe, to start off negative and focused and focused on what possibly could go wrong. So I, I just try to, I just try to believe in, in the best in people. And um, if it doesn't work out, learn from that and move on. So th- those are, those are two of the actionable items that uh, I, I talk about in my, in, in my book. I like that a lot. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, a couple questions because I know you're a bit of a futurist and known for that in terms of what work looks like. And before we get into what the future of work looks like uh, through the lens of Damon Lundby, I'm curious, you know, you've trained so many people. What are the biggest changes you've seen pre and post pandemic in terms of, you know, training people? What are the things that, you know, present as problems now for people that you haven't seen before? Well, that's a great question. Great question. Well, a lot of it has to do, obviously, with remote work and with hybrid work. And um, going back to trust, we we work with a lot of leaders who, frankly, have a hard time trusting or learning how to trust their team when they're not sitting, Dr. Richard, right in front of them, right? So it's it's how to set up an environment where you you base the results on you know, whatever projects they have and timelines and goals and allow people to to work in the environment that's, you know, in the remote environment that they have. And if they if they've decided to go back to hybrid or in person, it's how to collaborate with the different groups, you know, uh, some people who are remote, some people in person. So navigating that, uh, well, at first, literally just kept, kept us in business because everybody needed to learn how to to go remote and and collaborate. And then when everybody started to come back to some degree, it was navigating those waters. So that that that's really one of the big differences. And I would say, you know, uh, with the new generation, the uh, Gen Z coming in, uh, you know, their approach, which I think is great. You know, they, they ask a lot of questions. They they, they uh, want to know, know more about, you know, career trajectory and, and professional growth. And I've really seen that tick up over the last couple of years, which is helpful for me because, uh, well, for Learn It, because they demand learning opportunities, you know. And so we're in the past, you know, maybe investing in your team was a, a, a nice to have. I see a lot of our customers, it's 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 like a, a must have now is investing in your team because the 
great talent, even in a tough economy like right now, they could leave and attrition is expensive. So you want to keep your best uh, team members and you want to help them evolve in their career. I think it's, I I like, and I want to kind of go deeper into this because I'm so interesting. So Gen Z, you said they don't just want training, they demand it. Mm -hmm. And yet, as I understand the data, Gen Z employees job hop more than any other generation of people. Um, how do you reconcile those two things? Because they're interesting to me. That's a, well, I think you reconcile that by, um, first of all, I think it's easier to job hop when you're on Zoom 100% of the time and, you know, one day you click off and then the next day you click on somewhere else. It's it's trying to um, build a strong culture, which you can do remotely uh, and in person and and really get them to, I think it goes back to, uh, and I'm kind of curious to see what you think about this or how your job's changed since it's all gone remote. So, um, but getting them behind a shared purpose or vision of your organization, I think is is key. You know, um, getting behind that, because if they feel like they're part of something greater than just coming in and getting a paycheck, and then actually that the work they're doing uh is contributing to those goals. Like I've been really fortunate over the years to have a tremendous team and, um, and and who've always referred great talent to me as well. And that's partially because, Hey, look what we do. We help people become better at their jobs, you know, in, in, in their future jobs and help them build self-confidence in these skills. So that's something that a lot of people can get behind and I think a way to cut down on attrition is getting your team members to really believe in your your company um, shared vision and purpose. What do you I, think? I I think you're right on. I when I was very privileged early on in my podcast to interview Bob Berg, who was really one of the forefathers. Yeah, and really one of the the true pioneers in having purpose driven work, having a company that truly lived by the mission that they have. And so there's no question that as the workplace has gotten younger, the pendulum has swung more in the direction that people who are looking for jobs today, they don't just want the money. They want the money plus recognition for what they're doing, plus being part of something that makes the world a better place. So I I think you're right on. Uh, So I think astute observation for sure. And I think that that's good, right? Because they're pushing, they're pushing to get things to evolve, right? You know, yes. I, I think, I think, gra- I think gratitude is, 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 is key, you know? Um, and I also think that, um, you know, having a, 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 having people demand having a purpose and something to buy in, you know, forces leaders or organizations to, to make that crystal clear what that is. Cause if they don't, those people are going to leave. Yeah, and, and they are. I mean, the, you know, the data is very clear that if, if people aren't feeling appreciated, if they're not recognized, uh, you know, the the most dangerous thing, and this is true in sales as well, is not a customer or employee who's discontent, who's filled with discontent. It's a customer or employee who's neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, they could take it or leave it, right? So um, everything you're saying uh, is is right on the money. Um, 
I want to spend a few minutes because you're known for this, as I mentioned, you, know, you talk about the future of work. So let's jump forward. We've got uh, quantum computing and we've got large language models and AI is changing the world at rapid pace and pandemics and all these things. What do you see work looking like in 5, 10, 15 years? So, you know, obviously right now, everybody's talking about generative AI and, and where that's going to happen. And, and you have some people on one side of the fence who think it's going to destroy the world, you know, take away all the jobs, take over robots, take over everything. And then you have the other side of the fence where it's going to, you know, save the world. Everything is going to be phenomenal and create jobs. I think it's really too early to tell what's going to happen, you know, but I want to lean on the side of what was happened in the, in the past industrial revolutions where it ends up creating more jobs. If I had to put my money on it, I would say that AI, Dr. Richard, isn't going to take people's jobs. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen is people who leverage AI and, and know how to leverage it and improve or you know move forward, those are the people who are going to be taking jobs. So for for everybody out there who is relatively anti, like oh I don't want to learn, I don't want to get involved with this. I think that that's a you know that that's going to be a negative moving forward. So I think you got to be open minded and see how you can leverage AI either in your yourself or in your team to evolve. You know, maybe AI can help automate tasks for you that allows you to focus on higher level. Uh, tasks or, or more important goals. And so uh, that that's where, I, and I think that if, if things keep going well, that that's the direction I think that uh, we're going to go in in the next five years. All right. So you're, you're not necessarily predicting that uh, the machines are going to come kill us all. So that's no. good. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, we'll, do you, what do you think? Do you think they are? <laughs> I think. You're and a I talk, scientist. You know better I, than I, I do. Well, yeah. I, I've talked about this uh, in another episode. I think AI could be the greatest thing that humanity has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I think it also could be the worst, or it might be a little bit of both. I, I think what's going to be the key is, do we really um, rein it in from an ethical standpoint, right? Obviously there's, you know, we're able to create new medicines now. I mean, I, I was reading the other day that somebody, you know, some company took uh, some kind of a protein sequencer, put it through an AI algorithm. And now they're talking about really creating a custom, and I mean custom, like custom for you mm -hmm. pill that you could take if you had cancer, kill, kill your cancer, just that cancer. Like that's amazing, right? Yeah. But, you know, what can you do with AI tech, you know, wrapped up into surveillance? What can you do with it in politics? There's a lot of things that frankly are terrifying. And so yes. uh, we just have to have the courage, here's your, your courage, to yeah. do the right thing and make sure that we're using this technology to help people in, instead of hurt people. So hopefully- yeah, no, hopefully I'm with you on that. I mean, I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, I don't know how much regulation there should be, but you, you know, you, you have to be really careful with getting it in the wrong people's hands of what they can do. But you know, I want to I want to be an optimist and 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 look more at, what you're just talking about about uh, curing cancer and, and and things like that. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep it optimistic for sure. But 
Amazingly, our time has flown by and we're at the end. I've so enjoyed this conversation, Damon. As you know, I like to wrap up every episode by asking my guests just one single question. And that is, what is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today. That piece of information would be my recommendation is to keep learning. You know, if you feel like you've come to a point where you know everything or you got it all figured out, challenge yourself on that. Keep learning, keep evolving. And I think it's not only fun, but there's a lot of value in it. Amen to that. Damon, tell us where people can find out more about you online and get their hands on your book. Sure. So our company website is learnit.com. Uh, and that has all our classes and our content. You can find my book on Amazon, you know, the Learn It All Leader, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your book. Uh, and then connect with me on um, LinkedIn at uh, Damon Lemby. Outstanding. And we'll have everything Damon Lemby in the show notes at drrichardschuster.com where you can find this episode and a whole lot more. Well, Damon, I have loved our time together. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, Dr. Richard. Absolutely. And I also want to thank each and every one of you who took time out of your day to check out this interview. If you liked it, if you're inspired, if you learned something, go give us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 